good morning. My name's Barry Hammond. I'm a member of the ministry staff here today. And my role is to read the Bible one-to-one with people. Uh, and that's a very good thing to do. So I am always delighted to read the Bible. So our reading for today is 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 21. Just take a moment for you to find it. It's on page 1160 in the Bible uh, in front of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here ends the reading. Well, hi to everyone uh, in the building. So nice to be with you this morning. Uh, g'day to you guys online and also those of you outside. It's great to be with you without actually being with you. Uh, if you'd like to keep your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians 5, that'd be a help to me. I'm sure it would be a help to you. I'm going to pray briefly. We'll get right underway. Heavenly Father, many things on our mind. Uh, and we pray that you might just still our minds for the next little bit, that we might learn more of what it means to be in Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. And amen. Well, from time to time, many of us will subjectively feel like we're not very good Christians, whatever that really means. Some of us, though we have committed ourselves to Christ without doubt, might even wonder whether we're Christians at all. And that might happen when you're feeling flat. It might happen when you feel like you're not making any progress with that abiding sin. Or it might even happen just as you've drifted away from church attendance throughout this COVID era And you might not even be able to kind of consciously track what's going on in your spirit, but you find yourself wondering if you're a good Christian or a proper Christian or even a Christian at all. Now, people try to do different things to combat that sense or feeling. So I remember when I was doing youth ministry, every term we'd run a bring a friend night where our regular Christian kids would bring a non-church friend that have an evangelistic talk and we'd give the young people a chance to commit their lives to Jesus. Very good thing to do. But some of our kids would pray the prayer to become a Christian every term. Every single term. I think it was kind of like the Christian equivalent of a New Year's resolution to do better. But it was not unusual for it to be from amongst our keenest Christian kids. So that might be something that you find yourself wanting to do. Or you might alternatively be searching for some kind of feeling through singing. 
or maybe even some spiritual experience that will confirm to you that you are a Christian so that you know for sure. Now, I don't think it's a massive problem to recommit yourself to following Jesus by repraying that prayer. And I would hope that we engage with our emotions as we sing, just as I'd hope we engage with our mind as we sing. And, just, um, and given that we're in, in the business of talking about spiritual things, spiritual matters, spiritual experiences ought not to be surprising. Yet none of those things are supposed to be the thing that makes you sure you're a real Christian the genuine article, or that God is for you somehow, or that he's even real in the first place. Do you know, friends, it's one of the great, gracious things about the Christian life that it's actually very easy to be sure you're Christian. In fact, it's so simple, it can be summarized in two words. In him, in Christ. Are you in him? Are you in Christ? Because if you're in him, you most assuredly are a Christian. The genuine article, even if you've never prayed in your life, if you've never felt anything tingly as you've sung, if you've never had what you might describe as a spiritual experience, if you are in him, you are Christian. So let's work out what that phrase, in him or in Christ, which the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, our Apostle, uses all the time, but we use very little. We've got to work out what it really means. What is it to be in Christ? And especially what does it mean for our salvation and our assurance? Now that is the task before us today. Last week, Andrew Graham introduced our In Him Summer series by looking at the incarnation, and by which we mean God becoming flesh when Jesus was born into this world. And you might remember Andrew said that affirmed our humanity without flattering our fallenness, it reminded us that we really do matter to God. But also because Jesus came in the flesh, God in flesh and form, God with skin on, and because Jesus will always be human, he is and always will be united to us. Well, that's what we learned last week. There's real unity in our shared humanity with him. question today is, how does being united with Christ Help us with salvation. Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. Firstly, we just need to see the data, right? We need to recognize the phenomenon before we search for our our explanation. That is what good scientists do. They, They first observe, second they explain. You don't do the second without doing the first first. So, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1, I've got the verses up here, there's a cluster of in him verses that relate to salvation. So you can see there, He, that's God, chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Or a little further down in Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And a little further down again, you also, says the Apostle Paul, were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked in him with a seal with the promised holy spirit so that is a good place to go looking for observations they're good observations aren't they in christ christians have been chosen to be holy and blameless that's a way of describing salvation or in christ we have forgiveness and redemption that's another way of describing salvation we are included in christ when we believe the message of salvation and are additionally 
given the promised Holy Spirit as a seal or a guarantee of our salvation. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where I'd like to camp out a little further, and which Barry has just read for us, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Or in other or earlier versions, it would say, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So observationally, being in Christ makes all the difference when it comes to salvation. To be in Christ means that you are definitively, assuredly, certainly a Christian person, a new creation, redeemed through his blood and blameless in the sight of God. But I guess we've got to work out what does it really actually mean to be in Christ if being in Christ makes all the difference to salvation. Well, I don't know if they still do this at uh, primary school and girl guides, boy scouts, that sort of thing. But have you ever played those sort of novelty games like uh, wheelbarrow races or um, egg and spoon races? I used to hate the egg and spoon race. It's so stressful when you're a kid because that egg feels, you know, where you put the egg on the spoon and you do a relay thing. You know what I'm talking about? The egg feels so fragile, doesn't it? It feels like life itself is at stake. Now, the truth is, as you get older and you had your time again, wouldn't you just go... Uh, stuff this race and just pick up the egg and throw it at the person you like the least. I mean, that's what I would do. <laughs> but the other game that you would often play amongst those sort of novelty races was the three-legged race. That's where you team up with a partner side by side and they tie um, one of your legs together so you have this giant elephantiasis-like middle leg. Um, and it's not a, a random or loose connection at all, is it? I, I mean, you're joined to that person and wherever they go, you go, but really you go there together. Well, it's like that when you, we are united with Christ. We are joined to him, tied to him, stapled to him, as it were. So you have to imagine that where he went, we also have gone, or at least we're treated as if that were true. Now, that is true when it comes to forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven in him. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 19, put it like this. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So you can see very clearly there, in Christ, God does not count our sins against us. But how can this be? Well, because we're standing next to, because we're tied to, because we're joined to, stapled to the one who had no sin, but was treated as though he did, was treated as though he had our sin and was accordingly judged. And so because he was judged for our sins, we are not judged for them because the judgment of God has already taken place. The penalty's already been paid. So we are acquitted, we are pardoned, we are forgiven. Now, Rory Shiner in a book that Andrew mentioned last week. For those of you in the building, it looks like this. For those of you at home, it looks like this. (laughs) But you can't see it, I'm sure. He uses the analogy of a bushfire, very timely for an Australian summer. And one of the strategies to fight a bushfire is to light a fire in the bushfire's path. Now, we would call that a containment line. And the reason you do that is the bushfire cannot burn that which has already burnt out. And so the bushfire's progress is contained. Now here's the thing. When we stand in Christ, we stand next to him. Remember, we're joined to him. The one who 
voluntarily endured the fire of God's judgment though he didn't deserve it. And because he has done all that, the fire has been exhausted and it cannot burn where the fire has already been. There is nothing left to burn. The fire has been exhausted. It has been contained and no judgment awaits us. Now that's the truth. God does not count our sins against us in Christ because God made Christ who had no sin to be sin for us. And that means there is nothing left to burn. No judgment remains. And instead for us, there is acquittal, there is pardon, there is forgiveness in him and in him alone. But you know, friends, it even goes further than that. Not only are we acquitted of our sin and our wrongdoing, not only are we pardoned and forgiven, we are furthermore declared righteous. We are declared righteous in him, that is blameless in God's sight, treated as if we were as perfect as Jesus was in his earthly life. It's not only that our our sins, like all those little minuses in our life, are removed, returning us to a neutral position before God, which is stunning in and of itself, given, uh, I guess, how many minuses there are, how, how often we sin, because we are united with him, joined to him, stapled with him, we are treated just like him by being given Jesus' perfection, all his positives, making us as attractive and appealing and acceptable to God. So we go from minus to neutral and then to positive, pure and perfect in God's eyes, because we are in Christ, because we are joined to him. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 finishes like this. See it in the second line there. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you get that? In him, right, that beautiful little phrase, once again, we might become the righteousness of God. Christian people, this means we might be treated as though we were not covered with minuses on account of all our sins and shortcomings. We might not even be treated as though we were neutral, but instead we might be treated as though we were covered with all the pluses, all the positives, all the purity and perfection of Jesus in his earthly life, only if we are in Christ, united to him. Now, of course, we don't magically become as pure and perfect as Jesus in his earthly life, although we ought to slowly and incrementally head in that direction, which is something Bruce is going to share with us next Sunday. But it's that God decides to treat us in that way, as if we were as pure and perfect as Jesus in his earthly life. And friends, though that seems difficult to believe, it's even more difficult for God to do because it involved him making Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. That is judging, condemning and punishing Jesus for our shortcomings and sins. But you know what, friends? God can do that. He can do that. He can judge our wickedness in Christ and he can justify or declare us to be righteous in Christ as well. But only and also in Christ. Now, I I think that we are not only pardoned and forgiven, moving from negative to neutral, but also declared righteous, that is considered by God to be as positive and pure as Jesus, is probably the most wonderful realisation I've made in my own Christian life in the last 25 years. It is staggering in my mind. In fact, 
I don't think there are superlatives enough to describe how remarkably surprising and beautiful that thought is. But it's only available in Christ. And so before we think about the practical differences this might make to life, let's revisit how you get in Christ. And of course, and this will will not be a surprise to you, I don't think, the answer is by faith. And so in one of the, uh, the Ephesians verses we looked at earlier, it worded it like this, look at the underlined one. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When did that happen? When you believed. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, that Barry read to us, talked about heeding and believing the message of reconciliation by which the apostles implored us to be reconciled to God. But really they're saying the same thing. They're saying it's by faith. It's by belief. It's by trusting this gospel message which centers on all that Jesus has done for us. So that we become in Christ with all that means for us, forgiven, declared righteous, etc. By believing the message of Jesus, by trusting all that he has done for us. And that is certain, my friends, not because you prayed the prayer to commit your life or recommit your life to Christ for the 17th time. Nor because you felt emotional when you were singing one of your favorite Christian songs or not. Or not even because something especially spiritual happened to you. All of those things might happen or might not happen. But none of those things are the thing that certifies that you are in Christ. It is about faith. It's about trust. It's about belief. Now you might be sitting in your chair thinking, yeah, Scott, that's the real problem though. I don't have a robust faith. Or my my belief wavers. Or the time I feel closest to God is when I'm singing my favourite Christian song. Well, uh, Rory Shiner again in this little book that you guys in the building can see. Well done for coming down. You guys get home, just know that there's a book I'm holding up. It has this brilliant analogy. It's very clarifying. So I want you to imagine that you're on a plane. Or actually, I really want you to imagine there are two people on a plane from Sydney to Melbourne, right? It's the shuttle. One is a businesswoman, and she flies to Melbourne every month for board meetings. She is very comfortable with flying, so much so so that she arrives at the airport just a half hour before takeoff. And you think, wow, that's cutting it fine, but she's relaxed. Yet she grabs a coffee and a newspaper on her way through the departure lounge, and when the hostess is going through her safety routine, she's way more interested in the business section of the paper. After all, she could probably recite the safety procedures by heart at this stage. That's the first passenger. Second passenger is a first-time flyer. I mean, he's seen planes from the ground before, and he's wondered about how such a heavy object could float through the air. But this is the first time he is experiencing it firsthand. And so he's nervous about everything. He arrives at the airport two hours before takeoff, You want to be safe? He looks at the gleaming plane from the departure lounge and he studies it carefully. I I guess he's checking for cracks or defects. He does about three nervous wheeze before boarding because that's what you do when you're nervous. And he pays close attention to the hostess throughout the safety routine. In fact, he views and reviews the safety information card repeatedly through the flight. He feels every bump, even some that are only in his head, and he holds his breath for a little bit too long um, during takeoff. 
Now, in the book, Rory Shiner asks the question, who has more faith? Who has more faith? And the answer is obvious, right? It's the businesswoman. She is completely trusting of plane and pilot. Whereas the first time flyer, man, he is full of doubts. Then he asks another question. Who gets to Melbourne? Well, it's everyone who's in the plane, isn't it? The degree of faith is not really the key issue. It's all about the plane. If you are in the plane, you make it to Melbourne. Friends, it's not about how much or how strong your faith is. The key question is where? Where is your faith placed? Because if your faith, however weak it is, is placed in Christ, you are in Him. The key action is not what's going on in your heart at any moment in time, although that's what we normally think. The key action was in a stable in Bethlehem when Jesus came to live among us. The key action was on a cross outside Jerusalem when Jesus sacrificially died for us. The key action was on the day he walked out of a rocky tomb, leaving it empty and emptying death of its power and Satan's hold over us. So place your faith as big as you can muster, as small as it might be, in what Jesus has done for you and you will be in him. And from being in him, all the benefits, all the blessings of being a Christian follow with certainty. I'm saying surely, definitively. Practically, it makes a difference. You know why, friends? Because it frees up our hearts about worrying about ourselves to thinking about others and glorifying God. So even something as kind of um, straightforward as singing, when you sing, you're not aiming to feel whatever it is you're hoping to feel just so that you know you're a Christian or that God is real or whatever it might be. You sing with unabated joy, right? You sing with confidence, with the aim of glorifying God and encouraging others. You're actually free to do that when you're in Christ. It frees us up from feeling like, well, we better resolve again. What is it now, the 18th time, the 80th time to follow Jesus with all of our hearts? Oh, but this time it's for real. I mean, really mean it this time. You, you don't have to do that. You just wake up every morning as Deb has reminded us, and you say it's a new day, God's mercies are fresh every morning, and you pray today, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Help me to live for you today. That's all you have to do when you know that you're in Christ. It frees up our mind from those persistent doubts, those ones where you think, is God for me? Is God angry with me now? Will God condemn me on that final day? Am I okay with him? Or will he take his grace and favour and love away from me? You place the faith that you can muster in Christ, where the fire has already burned and where you will be gifted with his goodness and the answers become very pleasant indeed in him. God is for you. He is no longer angry with you. He will not condemn you ever. And he will never, ever take his love away. In him, by faith, whether that's small and nervous or hopefully stronger and robust, 
therefore pardoned, forgiven, acquitted. The fire is exhausted. Nowhere else to burn. And declared righteous. I mean, think of it. Considered as perfect and pure as Jesus in his earthly life because we are united with him, tied to him, stapled to him. whole bunch of things that people like you and I try to do to feel more Christian or a better Christian or a just scraping by Christian. But our New Testaments remind us it is about Christ, not so much us. Friends, we can be saved and we can be certain because we are in him. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father God, we admit that we do a number of things to feel more certain of our salvation, and yet we recognize it's way more about the Lord Jesus than about us. So help us to place whatever faith we can muster, big or small, in him, and be assured of all the blessings that flow. And we pray this in him. Amen.